What is up, everybody? Jason with Founders BR, and thank you for tuning in again. Super excited to share with you today's episode. We had such a great time on the first go around with Michael Fusilay that we had to do a part two. So today's episode, we do a deeper dive into some of the philosophies that Michael shared around his work ethic, about what drives him, how he uses passion and formalizes and structures his days to be effective and accomplish so much. And so I'm super excited to share. It's packed full of great information. If you like the first one, you're going to love this one. So without further ado, check it out. Thank you again for coming back. I so enjoyed our first round, and I think everybody who listened did as well as we got a ton of buzz from it. So thank you for taking the time and also kind of going a little bit deeper into some of the things we talked about. So I'll, I'll kick it to you because we were just talking about, you know, the the exercising for the, you know, the 127 minutes. We were talking about music and linguistics and all these things coming together. And, you know, you had some interesting thoughts. And so I'm going to step back. <laughs> and let you take the floor. Well, hi, Jason. It's good to be back. Thank you. Thanks for, like I said, thank you for allowing me into your playground again today. Of course. It's a fun place to be. So when I was preparing for our conversation today, something just, I mean, just recent, I mean, so many things happen that you kind of think, wow, this is a perfect example of several things. One, do what you like. Do do what is your passion. And then I, I truly believe it took me, <laughs> it probably took me 25 years to learn this, if not longer. But the last time we talked, we talked about, you know, my, 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 so my, my first passion is first and foremost, professionally, professionally, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk professionally. Maybe we'll flip some personal stuff in here. But professionally, I, I think I, I mentioned, I love business. I love everything about, I just love, and I don't, I'm not using love lightly. I, I truly have a passion for business and the way that business, business in a broad sense can take something that does not exist and make it manifest. And I just think that's amazing. And you know, people like carpenters. I love carpenters because a carpenter has this vision in their mind. A carpenter could say, I see it, and then they build it. I think that's the most amazing thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a software developer I see, and they, they build it. I think business, true entrepreneurs, and I, I just, I have the highest, I hold entrepreneurs in the highest esteem because they truly do take, first of all, they have this creative mindset that they identify problems rather quickly, but not only do they identify problems, and I think the issue with most of us is we identify problems and we why it to death and then we internalize it to death, but we don't do anything about it. Somebody should, you know, they ought to, they ought to. Right. Well, you know, the entrepreneurs are the ones that do it. The entrepreneurs are like, you know, wow, I ought to. I think that's how entrepreneurs think differently is I ought to, I ought to take care of this problem. So, so that's first and foremost, you know, what drives, I think a lot of what I do, uh, both personally and professionally is that is, is just the, the ability to take ideas and make them into something real and tangible. 
So I say that first and foremost, you know, it starts with passion. And I know that we hear that all the time. And it's, I think we hear it so often, it becomes a trite kind of eh, passion. But if, if you don't start with, if you're not starting with your passion, and there are many arguments as to, you know, people say, well, you know, you can afford to do your passion. You don't have five children and whatever, a mortgage, and you're not unemployed. And it, it's easy for you to say, follow your passion. You, you can be all of those things and still have a passion and, and still act upon that passion. I think what, what we do is we tend to jump too quickly to the finish line and we, we create this, to some extent we should, but we create this vision and we should have a vision. We should have a clear, compelling vision. But it's when we, when that vision becomes inflexible, you know, we create this, okay, it's, it has to look like this. It must look like this. Success has to look like this. And then we create this, this, this punch list in our mind. When I do these things, success is going to look, this is when I know I'm going to reach success, when, when this happens. And when that doesn't happen, which most of the time it doesn't, and I will tell you in my many years doing what I do as an executive, I have written many business plans. I've written many budgets. I've written many work plans and action plans. And if you put plan behind it, I have written it and I've executed it and I've, right. I've done it. None, none came out the way that we, and I say we, because I don't, rarely do I work just me. Most of the time I work with a team, a team of very talented people. Rarely does it work out the way you thought or think it's going to work out. Most of the time it works out even better. And it's the serendipitous kind of thing that happens where you, you say, wow, this is better than I thought. This is, this is much better than I thought. But that doesn't discount the need to first start with with passion and vision and then get to work and then get to work. I mean, hammer out a plan, work your plan, have a plan. And then you know what? Whatever your spiritual belief might be, wherever you might lean, God, the universe, Yahweh, Allah, let let it let it take its course. Let, you know, hand it over and say, well, OK, I'm, I'm doing my thing. You know, I love when folks, and I don't want to get too too religious in my conversations because that tends to be risky. But I often hear people say, "I'm waiting on God. I'm letting God show me the way." And and the first thing in my mind is maybe He's waiting for you. Maybe He's waiting for you to act. Maybe He's waiting for you to do something. You know, He's given you a pause. And and I truly believe that as a recovering Catholic. I do have some of those fundamental beliefs that most of the time, if we would just stop waiting and in that pause, when we're waiting for some answer, we're waiting for some divine intervention, maybe that's the conversation between me and God, and God's kind of like, well, <laughs> right. what are you going to do? I, I, you know, I kind of put things in motion for you. So, yeah. so I think it's important 
and I say that regardless of where your spiritual spirituality might lean, I think that's kind of how the world works. I think that's kind of how things go together. And that's a that's a really long preface to my story, I know, but I had to kind of set the stage. You got it. We got the lights, camera, and action ready. I, I kind of had to set the stage for these next comments. So in our last time we were together, you know, we talked about my zigzagging sort of career slash interests slash passions and everything that ranges from being a nurse to being a musician to actually studying music and then studying four languages and studying um you know having a, a cpa and a nurse being a c all of that, those things ceo at 30 all those i'm things. gonna That's tell funny. you i'm gonna tell you so did i have a plan yes i did i remember you might not believe this, but some 20-something years ago, I remember one of a professor at, in, at university um, teaching us how to write a plan, teaching us how to write an action plan. And I remember writing that plan. I, I do. I, in fact, for years, I carried that plan around in a sheet protector. I had this plan. I, love it. I got rid of it when, when the plan started taking a life of its own, truly. When my plan started taking a life of its own, I kind of threw it. I said, I don't need this anymore because things have, things are now falling. Things are going their own way. Um, so I am a planner. So I tell everyone listening, pl be, plan, write your plan, have a plan. But at the same time, you have to be prepared. And that plan should be based on, again, vision and passion, vision and passion. What excites you? For me, it's music, it's it's bioscience, it's the fact that you know I we do this research in pharmaceuticals and we can cure things that you know I read something the other day for I think it was and and don't quote me science scientists listening to this but to develop a vaccine for the flu it took decades if not a century to develop a vaccine for the flu. To develop a vaccine for COVID-19, it took months, months. And then they had these things in between, you know, uh, whatever else we created vaccines for. But you could see this, just the steady, I think that's fascinating. I think the yeah. way that we grow and, and we learn. So I'm fascinated by that. So that's one of my fascinations. You, you start with that, and then you have a concerted effort and you put deliberate effort into those things. They sort of take care of themselves. And here's a perfect example. Finally, okay, everybody listening, take exhale. So we finally get to this point. Stop rambling, old man. You know, so, <laughs> come on, grandma. The hammer's about to drop. I like The hammer's it. about to drop. <laughs> I had a conversation today with my... I think I mentioned last time I have I have coaches in all four of my languages. So I've been studying languages for the better part of a decade for the for well French if you count French, you know, most of my adult life and then you throw in Italian and Spanish and Portuguese and again why those? Because they're they're to me they resonate. They're beautiful languages. Mm. They're just absolutely beautiful. Now, I'm not saying Mandarin's not beautiful. If that's your thing, if that's your thing, do it. Do it. 110% do it. Don't dabble. I'm not a dabbler. 
Don't dab. Anywho, so I have these coaches. I have a music coach who recently invited me to sit on. So it started out as he was my piano guy, piano teacher. He need, he had an idea. He had a business idea. We communicated. I'm sitting on his board now. And the only reason I'm sitting on his board, so this is like, this is a jazz festival, but he also has another business idea. I don't want to spill the beans. I'm sitting on that board too. My point is, if I would have not known, I'll say his name, Carmen, who, who by the way, is from Ontario, Canada, okay? Mm-hmm. So I just found Carmen because, first of all, he's the jazz musician. Musician, I love jazz. Um, he's a lover of New Orleans. We connected some eight years ago mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I studied, I did my thing at, with through Berkeley, mm-hmm. and he's a Berkeley grad. Ran across him. I said, hey, I, you know, because so I know all this stuff now. Now I need somebody to help me kind of practice it and keep it up and, and do what I need to do. I don't want to be Elton John, although I wanted to be Elton John. Right. I don't want to be Elton John need to be. I don't right. need to be Elton John. Right. But that's a good goal. So um, I, kn- I knew him. I know him. Mm-hmm. And we just had our relationship. And then all of a sudden he has this idea. And we're talking about this idea. And all of a sudden in our conversation, in one of our board conversations, lo and behold, and we're talking about markets. We're, talk- we're not talking language, language. We're not talking anything other than markets for this concept or, or, or a, tar- a, a target market. Brazil comes up and we start talking about Brazil. And of course, you know, we have all these, most of the folks in the room are musicians from the Northeast, from Canada. Brazil becomes the topic of conversation. Well, lo and behold, who in the room knows at least one person, a native Brazilian, who is an attorney, by the way. So my Brazilian Portuguese coach slash teacher is a Brazilian attorney, abogada. I talked to her today about nothing about language, about the business idea. Mm. So, you know, you sort of had, the, I had, all of a sudden had this trifecta of, of stuff mm-hmm. that I'm sitting back thinking, you know, if this has nothing to do with my passion for language, but it has everything to do with just the synergies of those passions, music, language, and business, music, language, and business. You would think, or or we would erroneously think, none of those have anything to do with anything unless I'm a translator, you know, and we tend to think that way. We tend to think, and I will tell you, when I first started studying languages, Countless number of times people would ask, what are you going to do with that? What are you ever going to do with that? When are you ever going to use Brazilian Portuguese? At the time, do you know any? At the the time, I just knew a handful because I met them while I was taking some music classes through, through Berkeley. But the chances of me running into somebody and just starting a conversation in Brazilian Portuguese was slim to none. 
And, and, you know, over time you start to question, oh, why am I wasting my time? Why am I wasting my time doing this? Well, five years later, there's the answer. Six years later, there's the answer. Because if I had not had that passion and I had not acted on that passion, I would have never had the serendipitous opportunity to solve Carmen's problem by picking up the phone. And, and today it's amazing. Today, it's amazing. You know, when I was younger, you know, to correspond with someone. And I remember, I don't know if you if you guys, maybe somebody who's listening would remember pen pals, pen pals. That was the only way you could correspond with someone from another country was to have an international pen pal. And I remember I had a, a, an international pen pal, I, I don't know how old I was, I think early high school, from Germany. Well, try to carry, I mean, carry on a conversation by letter, right. international mail by letter. Now, now it was just amazing. I got on Google Meets, clicked a button. Right. No fear about long distance. So, so we didn't cut our conversation short. We talked business. Right. We talked. So it, it just happens. It just so happens that Anna, Anna, my, my Portuguese coach, is a lover of music. She's a lover of music. And she's an attorney in Curitiba. Mm -hmm. So we had an hour conversation and uncovered I pro at least $600, $700 worth of opportunities just because I knew her from following one of one of my passions. So, I, you know, and it's those kinds of things where you you sort of you kind of go through your professional life and those answers come to you. Why am I doing this? Boom. Answer. Mm -hmm. But it had nothing to do with what you thought. Right. Like I said at the very beginning. Yeah. Had I put my passion in this box and said, you know what, I'm going to learn these languages and I have to put them to work. I have to become, a, I don't know, some international superstar, some translator. I would have, I would have never noticed the opportunity sitting right in the corner of my, my office when I was on the call with, you know, these seven, eight, 10 musicians and the, the conversation started to shift to, well, what do, what do you think about Brazil as a target market? And, but nobody knows about, nobody knows anybody. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows. We'd have completely missed that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's an excellent story as to sort of the why. Sometimes we don't know the why. I mean, you've got to start out knowing the why. Why am I going to, get a, why am I going to school to get a degree? How many of us are really truly practicing in the area that we got the degree in? Right. You start with a why, but that why, that why just takes its course. And if we're if we're so inflexible, oh, we miss we miss all kinds of opportunities that appear on a daily basis, and we ignore them because they don't fit. They don't fit. So in all of that rhetoric, I think the lesson in this first segment is, you know, have a vision, have a passion, just be flexible, be flexible with your vision, be flexible with, with where it's taking you. Because as much as we like to think, or at least me, as much as I like to think I'm in control and I'm going to go from Kinder, Louisiana to New Orleans, Louisiana, straight shot I-10, you get to the basin. 
there's an accident, got to go around, you got to take a detour. If I don't have an open mind, how many things am I going to miss when I take that Doucet exit and have to go all the way around? I can choose to either be angry the whole way around or I can say, okay, wow, all right, so let's see what's back here. Let's see what's back here. And you take those back roads and you you just keep your eyes open, keep your eyes open. I know that's kind of a goofy, goofy example. You you started with a why. I'm going to New Orleans. You you had a way. I'm taking I-10 the whole way. Life threw you a curve. You still have the vision. You still have the passion. But you got to let the meandering happen. and Don't fight it so much. Just let it happen. Let it happen. And it's so much more fulfilling when those pieces like today, when I was able to have a conversation with Anna and, and Carmen the other night, and we, it was just, it's like all these epiphanies start happening. And um, I just grab them. I've learned to grab. I've just learned to grab them. Right. I don't question. I've learned to grab them. You know, in my younger days, I used to ask, what if, but what, but, you know, even worse in my younger days, I used to feel like you had to ask for permission. Mm. Like I had to ask for permission. Can I, can I take that? You know, the opportunity presents itself and it's like, can I have it? Can I have it? Listen, I'm 50 years old. Those days are over. Yeah, and and the, the other thing I've learned about opportunities is they really come. There's there's a lot of them. They they come. They constantly come. But truly great opportunities come few and far between. Mm-hmm. And you got to grab them. You just you have to grab. Uh, don't ask for permission. Who are you asking permission from? Your mom. Right. Right. Priest. Your boss. Don't ask for permission. Just grab it. If it's the right thing, it's the right thing. Listen, if you fall on your face, you fall on your face. Why do you think that so culturally? Because you think about, you know, a lot of that I feel like stems from childhood, right? You're told, hey, you know, make sure you ask for permission. Make sure you, before you go anything, ask for permission. And I feel like you said earlier about the entrepreneurs, the person who doesn't think, takes action, recognizes the opportunity and moves. And you know, I, I think about that raising two girls because I feel like that's I have an entrepreneurial spirit and, and always believe in taking action. And so I want to instill that same spirit in my children, but also being a kind of and this is more a parenting question, but it's still within the same lines, but still feel that like, no, I want you to go ahead and go for that. Like you want to go get it like, yeah, you go for it and which then knocks other people off. And then so you have culturally this kind of like battle between okay no no you must you got to instill you make your turn you you know you would get in line <laughs> versus the people who take it are able to make it yeah are the ones who take say this is mine i'm gonna go get it i mean i'm the, you know somebody hangs up hangs a dollar bill and says here it is and somebody goes can i have a turn the person who ends up getting it is the person who goes Boop. <laughs> i'm not asking yes i'm not waiting right. what's your thoughts on that i have a lot of thoughts on that <laughs> So I'm blessed to have three very amazing adult children. You're probably your age. Mm-hmm. As a parent, you're absolutely so. So let's go back. I was taught. I had a I had a very conservative um, upbringing, and you're absolutely right. You were you were taught, don't take it, don't take it, mm-hmm. don't assume it's yours, don't assume worse, don't assume you have a right to it. Right. 
Don't assume you have a right to it. Right. You might not even get it. You might even be able to get in line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You might not even be. And, you know, I do rely, I will tell you. So so those of you listening, I don't mean to offend, but but my my spiritual compass is is the Bible. Now, I'll be the first one to say as as a Catholic. (laughs) I cannot tell you where it comes from in the Bible. I have I have for the most part, you know, I know the popular ones. I know the popular verses. The greatest, the greatest hits. I know the greatest hits. John three sixteen. And- uh, I know all those. The ones you <laughs> see on the back of bumper stickers, you know, the ones you see on bars. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know that one. Yeah. But I like to think, and some of you may argue, I like to think that I, I at least know the gist. So I do use, I use now, in addition to Buddhist writings and Hindu and Islamic writings. I think there are there's a lot of wisdom out there. Again, it's the kind of thing, look for opportunities and grab them. There's a lot of wisdom out there. A lot of my, my upbringing, upbringing was biblical-based, and nothing wrong with that. But you, you, let me not say but. And you start to internalize those messages. Like the one, the one I think of often when I'm running my, my 127 minutes, one of the, the parables I I think of most is, and, and I try to twist them, and I'm sorry, Jesus, I try to twist, and I'm sorry, everybody out there, I try to, I try to maybe reverse analyze, is that really what, what he was saying? You know, the, there, there's the, the parable about when you go to a party, don't sit in the seat, don't, don't assume that you can sit in one of the best places. And I'm paraphrasing here mm-hmm. because somebody might come up to you and ask you to move and then you're embarrassed and all this stuff. So when you enter a room, you should always sit in the least place. I, I, I think that's great. I think humility is, a, is great. I think humility is a wonderful trait. Again, I'm reverse analyzing here and I'm trying to think and, and I can just imagine there, there are priests and biblical scholars on the on, on uh, listening saying this guy's nuts. I don't know if the universe really wants me. I don't know. I don't know. And that's I'm, that's my challenge. I'm not sure if the universe really wants me to to not think too highly of myself. I don't know. I'm still mm-hmm. grappling with that. You know what you know what other thing I think about though too because talking about from a biblical sense you know, you, 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 you referenced the Bible and, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and my wife is Baptist and, and, and we, we teach the Bible in, in our household and, and sometimes are torn with those same kind of concepts, but mm-hmm. it's also interesting and, and you'll appreciate this from a cultural standpoint. So I, you know, my family, my father's born and raised in New Orleans, have come hailing from kind of a St. James parish, good New Orleanian boy, grew up there playing baseball, met a beautiful woman from El Salvador, who's my mom. She is, so my family is split. So I have Central America, you know, New Orleans. And so growing up, I had two very different cultures and families. Now, both believed in the Bible, both believed in Jesus, but culturally were different. And here's one of the things I just think about, because I think of my mom, when you talk oh. about walking into a room, like whatever's available, I'm, that's where I'm sitting. That's where I'm going. <laughs> I'm going right. Yeah, if there's a seat in the front, I don't even care if it says reserved on the sign. We, we're gonna pick that up, and move that out the way. <laughs> the shows are starting in two minutes. I'm sitting down. I'm sitting. And, and that was, you know, and and even like personal spaces, you know, very close, very, you know, we'll come talk to you, you know, but cheek to mm. cheek to a stranger. 
and always never, never shy to say to you know, to, hey, look, there, there, that's that's open. Not that we're, we just we just have every right to be here, and and culturally, that's that's kind of very common. It's not can even considered impolite as is it as it would be here to do something like that. Even though both are, have the same beliefs within same 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 fundamental belief, right? Right, right. And so it's interesting yep. how that may even be a cultural question as well. And you talk about that interpretation, you know? Yeah. Where does it fall on that spectrum? It could be all all of that. I feel like plays into each other. So, so I I, br- I bring that up because you know you mentioned that it's part of our upbringing. It's part right. of what what we are programmed to think and believe about the world and about ourselves. And to some extent, I think we are called to question and and analyze those things. I I can't believe as an executive, as as a quasi entrepreneur, that we, we are, we were created to just take things at face value. This is the way it is. This is the way it has to be. I don't think that's, that's the way we create it. Now, again, there's probably lots of people who would say, no, we were created to toe the line and until you die and then you get your reward. Hmm. I just think different. I believe different. So it, it has taken me a long time to sort, to sort of relearn and give myself permission. And this is a big one. Give myself permission to be able to still call myself a great Christian and take the best seat in the room. And not be guilty and not question, am I entitled to that? Or do I need to ask permission for that? Again, I I think there's something to be said about there are certain universal truths. Mm -hmm. And I think those those are summed up best in the Ten Commandments, in the Eightfold eightfold Path, uh, all of those things that the great religions provide to us. And if you look at them really well— you can see the similarities. And I think those similarities are, those are the universal truths. Those are the universal truths. I am not going to walk up to Jason, knock him over the head, and take his apple from him. Mm-hmm. But if Jason and I enter a room and there's an apple on the far end of the, of the room, I'm going to raise you for it. Right. If you get there first, I'm going to shake your hand and give you a big hug and say, great, good job. Can I have a piece right. of your apple? <laughs> right. Can I have a bite? <laughs> Can I have a bite? Or, right. you know, a, a business person would say, hey, what's the buy-in for half of that apple? Right, right. And right. Can, we, can we get two apples? And I'll right. share my, you know, can we get three apples? Yeah, I noticed you're fast, but I have two workers. So maybe that's right. the... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you Listen, run and go you, get it, but I got some you, people who can help you pick it. That's right. Up. You, you got the apple, but you know what? I got some dirt outside. Right. If we partner and you give me some of those seeds, hey, in a year we might have a tree, right? You know, exactly. an orchard. Let's cut it in half. You, I'll eat half, you'd half, and we'll split the apples that grow. We'll split the apples <laughs> together. Together we're stronger. You know, that's the old. Together right. we're stronger. Right. So to get back to to your question about so parenting, I will tell you, my first child, my oldest son, my wife and I, I was going to say likely, but I can tell you we did. We taught him very conservatively. We taught him those things that wait, don't be too aggressive, assertive, and and that has that has shaped his that has shaped him. And our middle daughter is sort of the same. And I'll give you a perfect example as to how we change and and sort of how my how my perspective is. 
So my daughter, my youngest daughter, she's a millennial. I'm not going to say victim because I, I don't believe in victimizing. She's um, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. She was laid off. We could have, she, we could have done a number of things. We could have victimized her. We could have said, this is not fair. We could have, what did she do? She went back to school. She said, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity, this opportunity again, grab this opportunity. What's the opportunity? Time. Right now, time. Mm. She earned a second degree. She said, okay, I got a second degree now. Still no job. She has a degree. Still, still no job. Right. We could have, we could have again cursed and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I told her, take a risk. What is your passion? What is your passion, baby girl? And we started talking. These are my passions. I said, um, put all that on paper. Let's create some names. Let's create, let's register this baby. Let's go to the bank, put some money in an account. There you go. Now go with it. She now is now, of course, she's working. She's working on it. It's two brand new babies, two mm-hmm. little babies. She's got two businesses. She is the part owner. Of course, daddy didn't let her have all of it. I said, listen, if I'm going to keep shelling out support to you, I could give you. I want some equity. That's right. I could give you $500 or right. I, we could put $500 in an account and we right. can watch it grow. Because she's young, she's right. still relatively just a baby. That was what, that's what we did. We took that opportunity. 15, 20 years ago, I'd have never, I'd have never. My advice to her would be find the first job you can get and you take it. Hmm. Even though it's not your passion. What we often forget is when, when, we're, doing, when we're doing our non-passion, it's taking time away from us doing our passion or at least engaging with our passion. So right now I'm speaking to you. The time that I'm talking to you, I can't, I can't be speaking to someone else. And that's, that's a great thing. I'm choosing to speak with Jason right now. Mm-hmm. When we choose to work in jobs that pay, and this is a whole other conversation, right. pay $7 and 50 cents an hour. That's keeping us from now. If that's your passion, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say a word. Mm-hmm. If it is truly your passion to do that type of work, if that's your calling, do it by all means. Um, but when it's not, it it truly erodes at our universe-given, God-given, in, internal inspiration. What we might call, you know, the Holy Spirit at work. This. And yes, there's humility in work and there's humility. People are probably saying, well, this, this guy's an asshole. He's really crazy. But I would much rather see an inspired, energized, unemployed person than someone who is settling. Someone who is settling out of fear. And I think we talked about fear last yeah. time, how yeah. powerful fear is. And if we go back to the story of sitting at the table, why am I not going to go take that seat? Well, your mama's got the idea because I'm I'm afraid. And that that fear is instilled in us. I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to be embarrassed. I'm afraid to lose some money. I'm afraid to get hurt. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. So we don't do we don't do anything. We do the safest thing. 
we do the safest thing, even at the expense of that internal drive and that internal inspiration. So you, Jason, you're, you're going to change over time. Your parenting is going to change. And I think as you learn that nobody's given you A's, B's and C's in life, you just do it and you see what happens. If you do something and you get slapped, don't do it again. If you do something and you lose a ton of money, don't do it again. We forget that we have, we have, until we die, we have infinite choices and infinite opportunities. But what keeps us is that fear, the fear of failure. What are people going to say? Well, don't worry about what people are going to say. If it's your passion and it's morally right and you can truly help make the world a better place through that passion or through that intersection of passion that I was talking about earlier, I think today's theme is just, just do it. Just do it. Be smart. Be smart, take action, and just do it, and then let the universe do its thing. Well, I think I heard, you know, I heard a quote that makes me think of about fear, and and they described fear, defined fear as the punishment we give ourselves for Mm -hmm. something that has not happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I tell my kids all the time, you're creating your own monsters in your head. Right, right. We create our own monsters. Right. And there was another quote I heard that's similar that said, I spent 99% of my life in fear, and some of them actually happened. <laughs> Meaning, like the majority of things I worry about few. my entire life, most of it does not happen. You know, I've spent, I, uh, you know, I've spent most of my life worrying about it. Maybe it, only a few of them actually happened. Most of it didn't. Um, very few, very few. And I'll close, and we'll, and we can move on to another topic real quick. But I'll close. I'm gonna bring us full circle, and I'm gonna go back to my my Catholic upbringing and how I reverse analyze these things. Mm-hmm. All of this conversation, one of one of my favorite hymns that I used to hear in, in at mass all the time, the, the name of the song was Be Not Afraid. Mm-hmm. Be Not Afraid. Oh, yeah. My, the, the perspective that I have today is very different than I did when I was a little kid. Sit and you hear that song, Be Not Afraid. Now it's like, well, he's telling me, don't have fear. Don't. I mean, you have to have, I guess, a healthy dose of respect for the for physics for the thing you know i can't i can't jump off of a mountain and think oh i'm not afraid right i'm not gonna splat when i hit the ground if if a lion's chasing you you should you should move (laughs) you should have respect for the fact that the lion's nature is if he catches you he's going to eat you right Right. so i think it's more of a, a wisdom kind of you need to have respect for the laws of nature of it sure the i think just don't create fear don't create fear and don't instill fear you know don't instill fear respect yes respect yes for the laws of nature and and the laws of morality that we all know intrinsically what those are respect for those but everything else is fear it's fear it's just fear what do you say to the person who is not within that passion, right? So you talk about, you know, that individual who is, they are, you know, they're, they're doing that job that's not within the passion that they want to do. And they're not even really getting, you know, it's not even a compensation that allows you to do maybe a passion, right? So maybe I sacrifice this time because that gives me an opportunity to do a passion, right? It, not only does it not do that, it's not within my passion, doesn't give me opportunity to pursue a passion, but are trapped in this somewhat cycle. And yeah. that person who is stuck and saying, how do I get out of this wheel and, and, and 
and make a step. You talk about that action. What's the first step they should make? What's how do you get off the wheel? You know, I actually uh, so I'm I'm also um, I'm a coach, uh, and I know we toss that thing. I'm more of a mentor, so I belong to several professional organizations: the American College of Healthcare Executives, the American the American Public Health Association. But in all of those professional associations, I'm I'm a mentor <clears throat> to to what we would call junior executives and and junior entrepreneurs and those kinds of people. You know, the first thing. So in that framework, the first thing is. I'm going to wait till you you come to me when you come to me and you say, get me out of this cycle. I know you're at least kind of ready. You're ready. So I'm not going to prophesy to you and say, you know, you're mm, this is not where you want to be. I have no idea where you want to be. But if you come to me, when you come to me and you say, this is not where I want to be. How do I change? How how do I get out of this cycle? My daughter is in is in the process of actually that is her passion. Her passion is for for those populations of people who have been who have been for no fault of their own been placed in circumstances where it just seems to be this. That's her passion. And she has taught me a lot about reframing. So that's sort of the same thing you have. You. You have to reframe your reality. Why do you see this as an endless cycle that you can't that you can't stop? What what makes you believe that? And when you reframe it as something that all you have to do is pull one one peg out. So we talked about habit, our habits last time. All you have to do to to change a series of events mm-hmm. is pull out one piece of that event. And I do this all the time. I see, how can I change my morning routine? How can I change uh, during my run? I'll just zig. I'll take another road I've never taken before because it's like, what am I missing by just staying on the same path day after day after day? Mm. So, so that would be the first thing I would say is figure out, figure out in your thinking as a man thinketh. That's a great book. As a man thinketh. What in your thinking do you need? What piece of that thinking, that thought pattern, that thought process is making you feel like you, first of all, you have to identify what's making you feel that this is an endless endless cycle and that there's nothing you can do. Once you identify that, then you have to kind of figure out how, how do I take that piece out? And sometimes that's, again, fear is going to kick in because you're like, if I, if I quit this job, God forbid, if I quit this job, making a take tip. Well, worse, if I'm if I'm making seven fifty an hour or eight dollars an hour, I'm not talking about quitting a job. I'm most likely talking about quitting some jobs because you you can't do much with seven, eight dollars an hour, even ten dollars an hour today. So the first thing you have to you have to ask yourself is what is the fear that's keeping me from if I quit one of these jobs and allow myself because because money is important but what's even more important and I think we touched upon this last time is time we will never get we can't reproduce time you can't print more time you can't earn more time 
you will never get that time back. It's the only never. limited resource. On the, the only limited resource. And not only is it limited, God's a great jokester. He's like, I'm going to give you on earth. We won't get into eternity. And I know we, it, time is eternal, but let's talk about on earth. And let's even, if we take it and, and we kind of pull out the reincarnation piece and not to get too much of that. But okay, so me right now, Mac, in this chair, in this existence, I don't know. If I walk out this door, that might be it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. So, so God kind of tells you, I'm I'm not going to tell you how much time. You have no idea. Right. You have, you have a finite number, <laughs> but you don't yeah. know what that number is. So, so what I'm whispering in your ear is you better make the most of every second I give you. Because A, you're not going to get it back. B, you don't know when I'm going to take it. So that, that would be the first thing I would I, I do. I teach people. So don't think about how to get out. Don't think about what will happen when I take this piece out. Think about what will happen if I don't. How different could my life be if I did decide I need to give myself more time to focus on this? Yeah, but how do I live and how do I... Well, that's where the planning comes in. You don't just willy-nilly do it. You plan it. You set a course for yourself. You take action. And then you let the universe kind of, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned, the universe kind of takes, it takes you. It's like a river. Put yourself in the river and then it's going to take you where you need to go. But you you can't get there unless you sort of reserve yourself to, I'm going to get in the river. I'm going to get in the river. Well, I don't want to get in the river because it looks like it's moving pretty fast. I don't want to get in the river because I don't know how to swim. I don't want to get in the river because whatever, the fear, the fear factor. So what do we do? We stand on the bank and we watch people who decided to get in the river float by and they're having a jolly old time. And we, we kind of kid ourselves by saying they're really not having that much fun or they must have done something unethical to get in that river. There's no way they could be in that river and be doing so well in that river. So it's, it's sort of the kind of thing where we talk ourselves out of it. So I would say, figure out the piece that you need to change, the thing that will make the most fundamental change in your life. Change, most of the time is change the way you're thinking. Don't ask yourself, what's gonna, what will happen if I do do this? Ask yourself, what, what's going to happen if I don't? And then analyze why you haven't done it. What's the fear factor in there? And then work on, on trying to get past that fear factor. So that's what I would say. That's what you need to do. You need to stop. I have a thing on my calendar, on my daily calendar, about, uh, I think it's 1130, it comes up. And all it says, and it pops up on my phone, it says stop. It says stop. Mm -hmm. And I, I put that on my calendar because my days, when I get up at four, and I'm running, 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 shower, breakfast, commute, Office, 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 office. If I didn't have a stop, mm. I would get all the way to 730 and be like, what did I do today? What Did I ever stop and think right. about my day? Mm. So I have a, an appointment, a 15 minute appointment in my calendar and it pops up and it just says stop. Mm. And I used to have a mindfulness bell on my phone. And it would go off 
And, and I stopped using that because it would go off at the most uh, inopportune times. So now I just put on my calendar where it's sort of my mind, my mindfulness bell. Mm-hmm. And when it pops up, I don't care if I'm in a meeting. I don't care if I'm in a conversation. I, I stop and I kind of, I just, okay, from, from the time I woke up at four until 11 o'clock right now, a process. What has happened? What has transpired today? What have been my achievements? What really made me smile today? I just kind of go through these goofy little mm. thoughts, yeah. but but it forces me to think. And that's sort of an analogy for you've got to find out, you have to find out what in your routine keeps you in that cycle of, if you're constantly looking back at your day and it's like, oh, this this was, I don't know what I did today. I don't know what I achieved today. Mm-hmm. I didn't meet any, I didn't do anything fun today. I didn't meet anyone interesting today. Well, there's, it's nobody's fault, but yours. Mm. But, and I think it's because we got in the river and the river pulled us, but the whole time the river was pulling us, we were trying to swim upstream Mm. instead of just kind of letting the river take us and recognizing what's on the bank and, oh, hey, there's an opportunity there. Maybe I need to swim to the bank and get out of the river for a few, for a little bit Mm -hmm. and meet these people or pull some of that fruit off of that tree. Then I'm gonna get back in the river, but right. if we if you just stay in the river, you're you're you get to the end of the river and it's like wow, I, I didn't see anything, I didn't do anything, I didn't meet anybody, I didn't get any fruit, I didn't get Jason's apple. So <laughs> right. that's a no, long meandering conversation about no, about a lot. It um you know it makes me think of there was a productivity hack that I heard that Steve Jobs and I don't know if this was true or not, but I heard this is what Steve Jobs would do is that he would. He would have the same thing. So there'd be a point in time where he would stop in the day and he would go on a seven minute walk, seven minutes. He couldn't explain why it was seven minute walk, but it was a seven minute walk. And he would just blabber and he'd have somebody as with a note. He'd have an assistant who would walk behind and jot everything that he would say. He had no agenda, but he would just pause in the day. It was seven minutes and he would start walking and he would just start whatever came into his mind. He'd be like, I love I love petting goats because it's just really soft. And that's on my mind right now. Free flowing. And it would just free flow. And he said that some of his best ideas came from minute four through seven. So the first four minutes of just randomness that would kind of start to flow and he'd go down and then all of a sudden he would hit to something and he would kind of drill and then That's right. and he'd leave. You follow it. And, yeah. and you, follow, you follow that line. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's to yeah. all the listeners. Here's a little secret, you, you guys. I'm not a fan of Steve, Steve Jobs. I don't dislike him. I've, he yeah. just never peaked. He's not one of my... He's not my deep. He's not my Deepak Chopra. Okay, um, I've never read a book about Steve Jobs. I, I'm I'm not a big. What are some of the most quotable quotes from Steve Jobs? But but right. but I can tell you. You know, we talked about universal truth somewhere. Mm-hmm. You just shared that with me, and I just shared with you that sometime in my day, boom, I stop and I do nothing but sort of free flow and think and reflect. Um, I don't have it. I'm not rich enough to have somebody walk behind me and jot all my thoughts. But what I do do is I bring up my Google, my Google notes on my new. OK, I'm going to do a plug. This is the new Z Fold, Samsung oh, Z Fold. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love it. You got to get it. Got to get it. All you Apple people out there, you don't know what you're missing. Get out of the rip and grab yourself a Samsung Z Fold. Oh man, this is recorded. I'm sending it straight to it. Maybe we use that. <laughs> I, I really do. I I pull it out. I I have I have a, a Google Docs on my home screen. 
I punch that and I just start thumbing it away. Boom, 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 boom. Free flowing thoughts. What did I do? What, what happened so far today? What happened yesterday? What, um, oh, did I leave the iron on? Ooh, did, you know, did I, did I start the dishwasher when I was, you know, I just free flow. And it's like you said, you, you land on something and boom, you can follow it or you can make a note. And, but if you never do that during the course of your day, that's, Mm -hmm. it's completely lost. It's totally lost. And I think yeah. that's part of how our day gives us this fruit. But if we never stop to kind of pick it and put it in our pockets, we just run through the orchard for no reason, for no yeah. just reason, purposeless. You know, and so, and, and I agree with you. And another thing that you said that makes me think about is, because we talked about this in the last, the, the last you know, episode, about the power, of, the power of habit, the power of making good habits. And then, but then you have, you have my wheels spinning because then you talked about, I'm going to, I'm going to purposely break the habit and I'm, you know, I, you run every day, the 127 minutes, but one yeah. day you might, you're going to go a different route. I do. And, and I think about how almost like where I, I take that is what you also need to habitualize is living in the unknown and being comfortable with the unknown to the point where it's part of almost a habit. Cause everything you're saying about the action and about you know, being able, like, there's a great quote that says, you know, growth is where is in your comfort zone. Like you don't grow anybody, anybody who lifts weights, right. Or exercises knows that mm-hmm. you don't, you don't get bigger or stronger whenever you're not feeling the burn. It's if you do 10 reps that like, uh, what was it? Um, it's easy. Ali, yeah. Muhammad Ali said, he said, he says, I start, I, how many, how many, how many, uh, how many, um, curls did you do? And he said, he said, I don't know yet. I don't start counting until it hurts. Until it hurts. <laughs> You know, and it's funny, I'm the same way with, with my, I'll tell you, my morning push-ups. Yeah. You know, it's like, how many push-ups do you do? Well, I start with 12, but if those 12 were easy, I do, I do 13. I do 14. Right. right. And, and to give you, your listeners some practical advice, why you said this at the beginning, why 127 minutes? Simple, simple reason why. Um, there's a book, there's a, there's a technique, there's a method, and you may have heard of it. It's called the Pomodoro Technique. Pomodoro technique. Pomodoro in, in Italian means tomato. And, and if you get the book, there's actually, and the, and the way it came about was the, 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 the guy who, I don't, know, I don't know if he created it, discovered it, whichever way, but he used a, a, a timer and it was the shape of a tomato, just a kitchen timer. You know, you, you turn it. Okay. And, and it was the way that he, he sort of, he budgeted time to, this is a great this is a great method, a great technique, by the way, for for improving your efficiencies and and just getting stuff done. I wanted to use the expletive, but getting stuff done. Um, so why 127 minutes? So when I study, when I'm taking courses, or if if I'm reading something that's pretty difficult and and it's boring, or but I know it's like you said, it if it doesn't hurt, it's not good for you. So if it's an article that's kind of hard to get through. I, I force myself to get through it. But what the Pomodoro technique does for you is I'll set, I'll set the timer on my phone. I don't use a tomato timer. You can use any timer. I'll set the timer on my phone for 15 minutes. And, I'm, and I say, I'm going to read this boring article for 50. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about anything else except reading this article for 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, the timer goes off. I reward myself with maybe some good, some good orange soda, something like that. And then I move on to the next thing. 
So why 127 minutes? Pomodoro technique. I figured I can I can train for 127. I think now I'm up to like 100, uh, 120 plus 15, 135, 15 through another 15 minutes in there. I've just learned over time that I can do, I can train for that long and not be late for work. I can get back. So that's why, that's why that came out. But at the beginning it was, I would run for 30 minutes and I would do what I could for 30 minutes. And then I would, that's it, 30 minutes. And then it was 45 minutes. And then it was, Mm -hmm. I would do it for 45 minutes. Now I'm up to 135 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think that's two hours and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the only reason. I mean, there's no science to it. It's just that's the time I know that if I hit the ground running and I do that, I can do that and build it in my day instead of making excuses that I don't have time. I do have time. Apparently, I have two hours and 15 minutes to do nothing but run around, conjugate verbs, think about Jesus, think about my kids, think about my family. I can do all of that and not and not worry about time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, I totally, I totally relate with that. And I have the same, the same thing that comes to mind when I, when I do exercising, because you talk about like what you think you can do and then versus like, if you would have, if you would have probably, I imagine, start off by saying, I really want to be able to exercise straight for 135 minutes. And you've never, you've never really done this. You're going to instantly, you're instantly setting yourself up for failure because you might need to start with 30, you know? And I think that for me, I feel the same way about, I remember when I first started running, because for me, running is, is therapy. And we've talked about this and uh, it's where I have my best ideas is where I free flow. And, but I remember when I first started doing, I didn't like it all that much. It was just kind of like, I was like, I just need I want to, I want to get active again. It's been, you know, let me just do this. I'm just going to run. And I did the same thing. I said, I'm going to just run for 15 minutes. I'm going to get off. And that, that I barely could do a mile. And I was like, okay. And then the idea now I, I try to, you know, I try to run competitively and, and, and I run, you know, I try to run seven minute miles and, mm-hmm. and, and I, if I would have set that as a goal, I would have never, I would have, I would have quit before I even started. I just like, I just need to move right now. And it's funny in my head, but each time, each time I would hit one, I'd be like, wow, I've made it. And now I'm, I'm at yeah. the point where I'm even thinking now, I was like, I'll never be able to run sub seven. I like that's, I did a pretty good job. I went from 15 to 12 to 10 to eight to seven. And I'm like, that's it. That's great. And it's almost like I, I, you get, you just natural nature, human nature is to settle in and say, great, this is, this is good. I'm doing seven minutes. Miles puts me as one of the, fa- some of the fastest people at any race, but like, I'm again, I, but now it, there's no pain in it anymore. I just run. You just run. I just run. And so it's almost like a reminder, even on the things where we're, you know, you can all, there's always more and then it's taking the pleasure in the actual being in that uncomfortable zone because that's where I've been some of the happiest is when yep. I've been pushing myself. When you're in that, that, when you're in that uncomfortable zone, I agree with you completely, and I think that's where we grow, and that's where the those the fruit is. That's where the fruit that everybody else who's too, either too afraid or too busy. That's where the great fruit is. You know, people talk about low hanging fruit. It's really not low hanging fruit. It's fruit that nobody is taking time to to notice and take advantage of because it's either too far, too high, too hard, whatever the case might be. Um, complacency, complacency is the enemy of all of our, it's not the, the enemy of creativity. It's the enemy of executing on creativity. I think complacency is when you kind of settle in and say, I think this is good enough. Ooh, when you're, when you're in that zone, I really do. I pray that I'm really never in that zone. 
because you never know when good enough is going to be taken from you. Mm. And, and that whole time you were sitting on good enough, you weren't learning about getting bigger, better, faster, stronger. So you didn't know how to handle when good enough was taken from you. Mm. You know, it's like, I think we mentioned this last time, but I tell my kids and my wife this all the time. In 365 days, I do not want to be the same person I am sitting in this chair today. I don't. Not in 365 days. I want to be able to say I can do something bigger, better, faster, stronger, different, different color, something. Yeah. Now, I, I don't have any interest in the complacency, big, lazy boy chair. I don't yeah, really. I love it. I agree. I love it. Lots of gold, as always. I'm curious, as a final takeaway, because this has been on my mind since the beginning here, since we started talking. So it's the top of the hour. So my final question is, you talk about that passion and having your why. What is Michael Fuselier's why? Because I will never get this time back. I will never get this time that I've been given back. Uh, that is truly my why. I will never. And, and as I get older, that resonates louder and louder because I know, I know my time is short. My time is short. And, and I will never get that time back. And the last thing I want to do is lay on my deathbed and have even one regret that I should have, I could have, I would have. No, no. I'm just going to keep myself good with Jesus. I'm just going to put my head down and jump in the river because I will never get that time back. I love it. Gold as always. We will have to do, I feel like a part three is going to be necessary. Hey, let's do a part three. Let's do a part three. I love it. We'll schedule a part three for everybody listening. You'll get, we'll get some more, uh, some more gold. So I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you again for, for your time, for your insights and, uh, and being able to share with us your time. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in and giving us a listen. We appreciate you. Again, give us a like, give us a comment, let us know what you think, what else would you like to hear. And if you know somebody that you think would be a great fit, please message us and let us know how we can connect. Thanks again. Hope you have a great day.